although Ruby stated that he would like to meet Hunt, seemingly to establish a business connection, he did not enter Hunt's office with her. An allegation that Ruby was a visitor at the home of Major General Edwin A. Walker, resigned U.S. Army, appears totally unfounded. The allegation was made in late May 1964 to an agent of the U.S. Secret Service by William McEwen Duff. Duff, who was discharged from military service in June 1964 because of a fraudulent enlistment, disclaimed any knowledge of Ruby or Oswald when questioned by FBI agents in January 1964. Another allegation connecting Jack Ruby with right-wing activities was Mark Lane's assertion, mentioned previously, that an unnamed informant told him of a meeting lasting more than two hours in the Carousel Club on November 14, 1963, between Jack Ruby, Patrolman J.D. Tippett, and Bernard Weissman. Although the name of Lane's informant has never been revealed to the Commission, an investigation has been conducted in an effort to find corroboration for the claimed Tippett, Wiseman, and Ruby meeting. No employee of the Carousel Club has any knowledge of the meeting described by Lane. Ruby and Wiseman both deny that such a meeting occurred, and Officer Tippett's widow has no knowledge that her late husband ever went to the Carousel Club. Some confusion has arisen, however, because early Friday afternoon, November 22nd, Ruby remarked that he knew the Tippett who had been shot by Oswald. Later, Ruby stated that he did not know J.D. Tippett, but that his reference was to G.M. Tippett, a member of the Special Services Bureau of the Dallas Police Department, who had visited Ruby establishments occasionally in the course of his official duties. Larry Crayford was unable to recognize photographs of J.D. Tippett, and had no recollection of a Tippett, Wiseman, and Ruby meeting at any time. However, uncertainty was introduced when Crayford identified a photograph of Bernard Weissman as resembling a man who had visited the Carousel Club and had been referred to by Ruby as Weissman. In a subsequent interview, Crayford stated that he believed Weissman was a detective on the Dallas Police Department, that his first name may have been Johnny, and that he was in his late thirties or early forties. As set forth previously, Bernard Weissman was a twenty-six-year-old New York carpet salesman. Crayford added, I could have my recollection of a Mr. Weissman mixed up with someone else. Ruby's conduct on November 22nd and 23rd, 1963, corroborates his denial that he knew Bernard Weissman. Ruby expressed hostility to the November 22nd full-page advertisement to many persons. To none did he give any indication that he was familiar with the person listed as responsible for the advertisement. His attempt on November 23rd to trace the holder of the post office box shown on the Impeach Earl Warren sign, and to locate Weisman's name in a Dallas City directory, also tends to indicate that, in fact, he was not familiar with Weisman. Had he been involved in some type of unlawful activity with Weisman, it is highly unlikely that Ruby would have called attention to Weisman as he did. Investigation has disclosed no evidence that Officer J. D. Tippett was acquainted with either Ruby or Oswald. Neither Tippett's wife nor his close friends knew of such an acquaintanceship. 
Tippett was not known to frequent nightclubs, and he had no reason during the course of his police duties to enter Ruby's clubs. Although at the time of the assassination, Tippett was working weekends in a Dallas restaurant owned by a member of the John Birch Society, the restaurant owner stated that he never discussed politics with Tippett. Persons close to Tippett related that Tippett rarely discussed political matters with any person, and that he was a member of no political organization. Telephone records for the period following September 26, 1963, revealed no suspicious long-distance calls from the Tippett household. Tippett's encounter with Oswald following the shooting of the President is indicative of no prior association between the two men. Police radio logs show that, as part of general directions issued to all officers immediately after the assassination, Tippett was specifically directed to patrol the Oak Cliff area where he came upon Oswald. His movement from the area which he had been patrolling into the central Oak Cliff area was also in conformity with the normal procedure of the Dallas Police Department for patrol cars to cover nearby districts when the patrol cars in that district became otherwise engaged, as occurred after the assassination. Oswald fit the general description, which fifteen minutes after the assassination was broadcast to all police cars, of a suspect described by a bystander who had seen Oswald in the sixth-floor window of the Texas School Book Depository. There is thus no basis for any inference that in approaching Oswald, Tippett was acting other than in the line of police duty. Allegations of Cuban Activity No substantiation has been found for rumors linking Ruby with pro- or anti-Castro Cuban activities, except for one incident in January 1959, when Ruby made preliminary inquiries as a middleman concerning the possible sale to Cuba of some surplus jeeps located in Shreveport, Louisiana, and asked about the possible release of prisoners from a Cuban prison. No evidence has been developed that this project ever became more than a possibility. Ruby explained that in early 1959 United States sentiment toward Cuba was still favorable, and that he was merely pursuing a money-making opportunity. During the period of the jeep sale, R. D. Matthews, a gambler and a passing acquaintance of Ruby, returned to Dallas from Havana, where he had been living. In mid-1959 he returned to Cuba, until mid-1960. On October 3, 1963, a telephone call was made from the Carousel Club to Matthews's former wife in Shreveport, no evidence has been uncovered that Matthews was associated with the sale of jeeps or the release of prisoners, or that he knew of Oswald prior to the assassination. Matthews's ex-wife did not recall the phone call in October of 1963, and she asserted that she did not know Jack Ruby or anybody working for him. In September 1959, Ruby traveled to Havana as a guest of a close friend and known gambler, Louis J. McWillie. Both Ruby and McWillie state that the trip was purely social. In January 1961, McWillie left Cuba with strong feelings of hostility to the Castro regime. In early 1963, Ruby purchased a pistol which he shipped to McWillie in Nevada,
but McWillie did not accept the package. The Commission has found no evidence that McWillie has engaged in any activities since leaving Cuba that are related to pro- or anti-Castro political movements, or that he was involved in Ruby's abortive Jeep transaction. The Commission has also received evidence that in April 1962 a telegram sent to Havana, Cuba, was charged to the business telephone of Earl Ruby, brother of Jack Ruby. Earl Ruby stated that he was unable to recall that telegram, but testified that he had never traveled to Cuba nor had any dealings with persons in Cuba. Jack Ruby is not known to have visited his brother at that time, and during that period Earl and Jack did not maintain a close relationship. Earl Ruby is not known to have been involved in any subversive activities. Finally, examination of FBI information relative to Cuban groups in the Dallas-Fort Worth area for the year 1963 fails to disclose any person who might provide a link between Ruby and such groups. The Central Intelligence Agency has no information suggesting that Jack Ruby or any of his closest associates have been involved in any type of revolutionary or subversive Cuban activity. Possible Underworld Connections The Commission has investigated Ruby's possible criminal activities, looking with particular concern for evidence that he engaged in illegal activities with members of the organized underworld or that on his own he was a promoter of illegal endeavors. The results of that investigation are more fully detailed in Appendix 16. Ruby was reared in a Chicago neighborhood where he became acquainted with local criminals and with persons who later became criminals. Throughout his life, Ruby's friendships with persons of that character were limited largely to professional gamblers, although his nightclub businesses brought him in contact with persons who had been convicted of other offenses. There is no credible evidence that Ruby himself gambled on other than a social basis, or that he had any unpaid gambling debts. He had never been charged with a felony prior to his attack on Oswald. His only encounters in Chicago stemmed from ticket scalping and the unauthorized sale of copyrighted music and in Dallas his law violations, excluding traffic charges, resulted from the operation of his clubs or outbursts of temper. Ruby has disclaimed that he was associated with organized criminal activities, and law enforcement agencies have confirmed that denial. Investigation of George Senator In addition to examining Ruby's own activities and background, the Commission has paid careful attention to the activities and background of George Senator, Ruby's roommate and one of his closest friends in Dallas. Senator was interrogated by staff members over a two-day period. He provided a detailed account of his own life and cooperated fully in all aspects of the Commission's inquiry into the activities of Jack Ruby. Senator was fifty years old at the time Ruby shot Oswald. He had been born September 4, 1930, and died in 